Inclusion podcast by the Centre for Inclusive Leadership. Hello everyone, welcome to today's episode of Inclusion Podcast. I'm your host Jags Dahili for this episode. Today we'll be looking at the world in which we're currently living in, linking it back to the last couple of years of which we've gone through COVID, yet the constant has been this piece of hybrid working. I'm so excited to be joined by, by my colleague, <laughs> Paul. How are you? Hi, Paul. Good to talk to you. Good conversation, actually. I think the idea of talking about our ways of working and this whole hybrid conversation is a really interesting one. It's one that's playing on, on the minds of a lot of clients. So uh, good conversation to have. I'm very excited to hear how you may even look through an inclusion lens into the world of hybrid working. Mm. Mm. Look, I think the the inclusion conversation around hybrid is really important because remember, when you're thinking about inclusion, you're always coming back to that basic idea. It's about how do people feel? So remember the idea of inclusion is a feeling. So then the question becomes, if I'm not co-located with you, actually in some respects, co-location can make me feel more excluded, right? Which is an interesting conversation. In fact, there's quite a lot of intriguing data that's suggesting that actually there's a reason why a number of people of color don't want to return to the office. Because literally in the office, they're having to deal with the microaggressions and all of the nonsense that we know through that systemic inequality that they're not having to confront in a remote environment. So, So bear that in mind. But the point is, either way, the issue is about how you make people feel. So there is something I think that needs to be particularly focused when you're thinking about how do you make people feel apart when they are a part, right? <laughs> so how do I, how can I be a part but mm-hmm. still feel a part? And so when you're thinking about this hybrid conversation from an inclusion practitioner's point of view, you're thinking about if I have this problem that I've got to deal with, which is this um, lack of physical proximity, How do I increase the sense of emotional closeness? How do I do that? And it's really an interesting conversation we've been working on for the last couple of years. Mm -hmm. But it was was fascinating, you know, because I can remember in January 2020, I was in New York delivering some work. In fact, I was working with one of our global clients and we were running a summit. And a lady came in who was one of the delegates. She came in from Hong Kong. She arrived in from Hong Kong. It was like, I don't know, 25th of January or something. And the client literally turned her around and sent her back to Hong Kong, right? And I remember thinking at the time, well, this is some little problem they've got down in Hong Kong. You know, this is really sad. I'm sorry to see her go and all the rest of it. Well, of course, fast forward a couple of weeks and we're all in lockdown. And we suddenly realized that we had a business that was entirely, entirely based on seeing people face to face, right? We, our whole business is about the energy we get from the room and the space and the coaching and the, all of the work we do, but it's with people, right? And so suddenly we realized that actually if we couldn't pivot this business, um, we wouldn't have one. So and we had to kind of wake up one morning and go, this business needs pivoting, so wow. what are we going to do? And it was really interesting because the last couple of years have been fascinating for us as a group. Um, not only in the way we're serving clients and serving clients remotely, yep. but also what it's meant for us as a community and what that's what's happened. So I think we've got a, quite, a, quite a few reflections on the hybrid space. I think that's really interesting, especially when you talk about moving from picking energy from people 
in a space where you're in the room with them to then moving into a virtual world. That must have been quite a space where you've, it was an unknown. Yeah, it's really tricky because I, I think there's something about, I mean, you and I talk about this idea a lot, but the idea when you think about what happens when you make contact with people. So when two people or a group of people make physical mm. contact, what happens is that they, it's that contact generates emotion. And of course, it's important to understand that that's emotion. Mm. That's energy that is set in motion. And when that energy is set in motion, it creates contact and that contact creates that feeling that we're talking about. And so there's an incredible skill for people that know how to build rapport, for people that know how to work space and hold space to be able to really work skillfully and dexterously with that energy. When that physical space is removed, that's difficult because now you're kind of almost like sort of two lovers trying to communicate through a pane of glass. You know, it's kind of this, there's a... This, this really interesting shield. So the question is, how do you do that? And I think what we were seeing was, we were seeing that essentially you had to take all of the um, behaviors, all of the things that you would do in the, in the physical space, yeah. and you just had to kind of dial them all up. Mm-hmm. You know, they had to be, they were they, they're quite tricky to do. And it was bringing, and, and I think the thing that was perhaps the most interesting thing to solve for was to create that psychological safety. Mm. So, you know, you, you might have, I don't know, 20, 30 people on a tile, for example, and you've got half of them on camera. Do you know what yeah. I mean? And it's it's difficult because how because you need to you can't you can't carry you can't take those people with you. It's really interesting. Uh, my wife is a gestalt therapist, and um, and her work is interesting because that's very much about observing what you're doing in the here and now, and yes. it's a very somatic process. So she's very interested in what the body's doing, and so suddenly she went from a practice where she would have them all coming into her yeah. into her into her practice and sitting there, she was observing what they were doing to just having the torso on a screen and kind of go like, and she was, it was very interesting. So she had to just kind of relearn skills. But you know, it's, I guess it's a little bit like, um, I, it, people have told me that when you, you know, one of your senses doesn't work, you know, for example, mm-hmm. you, you're partially sighted, you get more acute hearing. Mm-hmm. And it's a bit like that. I think you had, because we weren't actually able to f- hold the space, yeah. you had to kind of attune your mind in a slightly different way to kind of go, okay, how do we make sure this energy circulates? Yes. Do you know what I mean? In a, in a very different way. I, it's been a fascinating couple of years, actually. It's, it's really interesting to even think about that circular motion of energy. Because when we think about being in someone's space, yeah, yeah. that energy is able to mix very naturally like, and you're able to see fully them. Yeah. Whereas now we're in a space where we are, as you said, just seeing our torsos that makes it really difficult because then you're in a space of how do you emotionally connect with that other person especially in the world of work we're talking about in a workplace emotions aren't always the forefront of what we're talking about so that must have been are you finding those conversations coming up more well do you know it's interesting because i think one of the things that's happened in the um as a result of the, of the remote working and we're talking about a very focused part of it one of the things i think has been interesting is actually it's created a rather more it's, it's created a greater sense of equality and the reason i think it's created that sense of equality is because if you think about a screen we all have the same real estate yeah right so you don't have the guy with the corner office yeah. everybody's got the same piece of real estate and I think what's happened, interestingly, I think it's enabled us to be more authentic, actually, because instead now of being in like a corporate boardroom where, you know, the highest paid person in the room yeah. talks, you're now in a kind of different space whereby actually we're seeing into each other's lives. Um, we're seeing bookcases. We're seeing the family setup. We're seeing 
we're seeing more of you. Yeah. You know, we're seeing children sort of come onto screen. We're seeing, <laughs> oh, hold on, the postman's here. Or even the cats or running even, across oh, yeah, the Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's been great because what that's done essentially is it's created an interestingly a more equitable space. Mm. And I think that's actually been quite nice. So I, mean, I can think of lots of times when we've just been on calls and people have just been chatting about, well, that's a nice picture you've got behind <laughs> you. And suddenly there's a story behind it or there's a piece of an ornament or something like that. So I think it's, I think it actually has opened a different window to the kind of souls of the people that we work with, which wasn't necessarily there for us before. Mm. Because perhaps when they come into a training room, they come into a kind of neutral kind of, kind of clinical space. Yeah. And they move away from their desk where they might have those little artifacts that tell you who they are. But on the screen, we see all of those artifacts in front of us, which is kind of interesting. It's beautiful to see, I think, sometimes. But we, we think about the greatness of what that brings. I think when we also need to flip it on its head and start to look at the, the difficulties it could bring to the individual. So those people who may not have that space for a, an office in their home, they well, may not true. have that space to be able to show their best of their home because there's other factors going on in their home lives. So then that makes a space where they're unable to fully leave if they're fully remote. So that, there's, there's always a flip side. Yeah. That's a really interesting point, actually, because I, it just made me think about that. I think that's part of what happens between the whole idea of camera off, you know, because I think there's, they're making adverts about mm. it for good reason. They're sort of home shaming, you know, and you kind of, that's that's very difficult, isn't it? Because that makes it very unequal. But I, I was talking to somebody who was in the construction business and he was telling me a story about a, a young lady that works with him, who's a first year apprentice with him, who lives in a bed set. No, I think she shares a bed set. Anyway, the, the point of the story is horrifying. She was having to do her, Zoom meetings, wait for it, ready for this? Sitting on the loo, right, in her little bathroom because there's nowhere else for her to be. So she's got this bed set, you've got somebody else living there. She's trying to run business calls. And how are you supposed to do a business mm. call where you're sitting there and you're sitting on the, no, that's not gonna work. Um, so that was problematic, seriously problematic. She must've been very happy she was in construction because they, yeah. they were able to go actually into the office. But I mean, it's, it, you're right, it's an, in, it's an interesting point. So again, that's something that, <laughs> it almost reminds me a little bit of the kind of school uniform argument. Mm. If you don't wear a school uniform, everybody's apparently equal. Whereas if you're able to just, oh, look at you live in a fabulous yeah. place. Oh, look at you with your kind of garden view and all the yeah. rest of it. It's, it, I think that is an interesting point. But, but broadly, I do think that the, whilst there's definitely been a, a, a downside to that, I think the upside has literally been being able to see into each other's humanity. Definitely. When we look at the humanity aspect as well, it's also... If we think about leaders and what mm. they could be mm. doing in this moment, we're looking at aspects of speaking to everyone individually, finding out more about these people from the authentic angle of who they are behind the camera. Once you're starting to see what the type of life they may be living, you then move into a world of how can I help? So when you see these people of, who may not be in the space where they're comfortable working from home, instead of saying, I feel your pain, it goes to the moment of how can I help you? Is there an environment I can create specifically for you to do your best work? Yeah, and that's a nice thought actually, isn't it? Because, the, because with that knowledge comes responsibility. And so if I've now got knowledge that I didn't previously have, I've got a responsibility to do something about it, which I think, which I think is, really, is a really interesting idea. I do though think there is the, um, this conversation about uh, working remotely is taking an interesting turn in the corporate space. 
um, it feels like the battle lines almost are drawn now, you know, where you've got one group of people are saying, that's it, back to work five mm -hmm. days a week. And you've got another group saying, well, that's it, you never have to come back. <laughs> and I, I, think, I think we've got some interesting things to think about because both sides of the argument have got some, got some interesting merit. But I do want to say, Jax, the thing that I find troublesome about this conversation is that wherever you stand in this conversation, it's important to recognize that the conversation is not about return to work. The conversation is about return to office. Uh, because I can tell you, everybody in our organization yeah. has been working for the last two years. It's not like we haven't done any work. Definitely. And I, and I think there's something almost generational, perhaps, we need to pull through on that. Uh, you, we've got government ministers making really, really, mm. I think, unwise statements around that, if I may be honest. Yep. And, you know, it's interesting to listen to people like Elon Musk, who's really come out slugging Vocally. on it. Yeah, very vocal. And on the one hand, you've got someone like Elon Musk, and then you've got, you know, Google saying, never come back with it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, although they've rode back a bit on that. But nonetheless, people are really in an interesting place on this. But I think the thing to notice is, and I think the thing to remember is this, is that this conversation about return to work or return to office, this RTO conversation isn't, is not really a post-COVID conversation. It's a pre-COVID conversation because we know very well, right, that pre-COVID, yeah. the conversation was all about what we called Industry 4.0. And what we were saying in Industry 4.0 was there's going to be a redefinition of work. Now, when I was young, growing up, work was somewhere that you went yep. to. I'm going to work. And what you meant was I'm going to some physical place, some physical building where I'm going to do my job. Whereas today, work isn't somewhere you go. Work is something you do. Yeah. And the point about Industry 4.0 with the interconnectivity and the Internet of Things and all the rest of it is that have laptop, why travel? <laughs> there's, no, there's no need for me to travel because I can do everything remotely. Yeah. I've got all that interconnectivity. So that conversation, that toothpaste is already out of the tube. Yeah. So if you're a knowledge worker, guarantee you that, that's that toothpaste not going back in the tube again. So when you then hit that up against the conversation with the COVID world, people think it's a, it's a post-COVID conversation. It's not a COVID conversation. Yeah. It's a technological conversation that's been driven by Industry 4.0. And that's really important to recognize because it means we have to reorganize the way we think about the world of work. And critically, not only do we have to reorganize the way we think about where work physically takes place, but we need to think about the way we do our work. Mm. Because now we live in a gig economy. Now people have portfolio economies. Yeah. Now you, if anything can be automated, it'll be automated. If it can be outsourced, it'll be outsourced. So the idea of people, the vision I had of working when I was a child was all these people with bowler hats and pinstripe suits and the Daily Telegraph and a red, a yeah. pink carnation uh, walking over London Bridge like a group of lemmings and sort of falling off the side into some bank and then coming back the other side and falling off the side onto the train. <laughs> That's not the real world no, anymore, right? Because I can, I can do my work wherever I want. I can do it wherever I want. That brings up two really important topics for me, which is one is identity. So mm. we're talking about we now work, we do work, right? And that leads into does then the work that we do define us and it moves into the world of identity and who we are we've now intertwined that world and then the second point we look at work we think of the way that you were talking about travel mm -hmm. and we travel to work whereas now we're at the stage where if we have a laptop why can't we travel and work 
Uh, completely. Well, I mean, yes, totally, 100%. I've got so excited by your second point, I forgot the first point, which I was excited about. So yeah, you can only give me one point at a time, because unfortunately I get too triggered by ideas. We'll start with the travel one. So let's do the travel one. You can take me back to the other one. I think that, that travel one's really an interesting case, because I think that is the point, right? That in the 21st century, knowledge worker is someone that is much more mobile. And for instance, one of the things that I can tell you that I find interesting is this, is that two, two examples. So one is I run a kind of a, a group that meets, which is an identity group. Oh, yes, I know what the first point there was. We let, go. Me go, let me go back there. <laughs> let me go back there. Let me go back there. Got it, got it, got it. <laughs> the, the key question you raised was uh, about this notion of work and identity. Mm -hmm. And I think that is the Gordian knot that needs to be cut. And the point is this, is that what you do doesn't define who you are. Yeah. Now, unfortunately, that is the culture in which we've been raised, and I think almost, what will I say, fossilized, frozen, concretized. Mm -hmm. The truth is, it's not what you do that defines who you are, it's who you are that defines what you do. So the key thing is I need to know who I am, and then once I understand who I am, then actually what happens is I just manifest myself as opposed to, I'm doing work. Do you see what I mean? So, and that puts me in a very different headspace, Jags, because if I'm in the position of thinking what I do defines who I am, then I'm going to spend my life constantly trying to prove myself. If, on the other hand, I recognize that who I am defines what I do, then I'm going to just spend my life expressing myself. Yes. And those two things are very different. And the other big problem is that I'm going to find out that if I know who I am, then I'm going to be passionately involved in what I do, but if what I do defines who I am, then I'm going to be unhealthily attached to what I do. So that becomes a problem because then what happens is when I don't do it anymore, who am I? Yes. So I was the managing director of so-and-so yeah. in some company not that nobody cares about. And here I was. But now I'm not the managing director. So who am I now? Who am I? So now I've got this whole identity crisis spinning out. But, but your travel point is interesting too because one of the things I found fascinating about that, I was going to make two points on it. One was, if I look at my coaching clients now, right, I'm now coaching clients in the, in the US. Wow. Right, a lot more clients I'm coaching in, in America, which I couldn't have done before because in my brain I thought I had to sit there yep. in your office or at some cafe or whatever, physically be with you. Yeah. But I can coach you perfectly well on a screen. There's no reason why I can't do that. Yeah. Um, I can coach you whether you're in uh, New York or whether you're in New Delhi. It doesn't make, it doesn't make any difference, right? But that, that was a paradigm. That was a liberation in my mind. And I think the other thing I found very interesting is the way that we've started to work more as sort of global community groups as well. And again, this is another part of the mythology, right? Before COVID, guess what? There were global companies. And guess what? Managers were having to manage teams that were dispersed across the globe. Mm -hmm. You'd have a, you'd have one outsourced place in, in let's say, Mumbai. You might have another place where you're doing something else in, I don't know, let's say, Kuching in, yeah. in Malaysia. Mm -hmm. You'd have somewhere else that was running a sales function out of New York. Nobody, nobody thought they had to be all in the same office, did they? No. That didn't stop me from managing, did it? Because I, so, hello, what's... <laughs> What is so going we've been on? doing this you for years. Course? We've been doing all, this for years. All COVID did. Yeah. All COVID did. And it does, I do think it's it, it's an important point. COVID is, it kind of almost, I want to put it like this, it induced the birth of the knowledge worker. But let me tell you something. Once you started to induce, 
There's no, no going back. Yeah, no going back. That's <laughs> over. There isn't any going back. And I think the idea of sort of trying to scramble all these yeah. people back in their offices and yeah. make them come to work five days with it says, I mean, that's just not real life. I and think, it's gonna I think con- companies are going to struggle oh, with that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I do. Because from the individual's perspective, you start to get resentful. You start to mirror or look at what other companies are doing and why not me? Completely. So it needs to be a full-on individual conversation about what is comfortable for you. What do you need to do your best work? And here's the problem with that, right? The key about that is I've got to trust you. Mm. And and that's the problem. We, we, we still come to this whole notion of if I don't inspect it, I can't expect it. And we've got this. And one of the things I think we have to sort carefully through is that the big risk I think that we're going to have to really manage and, and help managers work with is the notion of in and out people. So the good people come to the yeah. office and the people that are lazy people, they're not really serious, not really committed, don't really buy into the vision. They work from home, oh, don't you know? And, and I think that is going to be problematic. But there's been some hopeful initiatives, Jags. I think the 180, 100 is a good mm. initiative. I think it's really interesting to see that the idea of the four day week. Yeah. I think is a really, really nice idea. And I think you'll see more of it because ultimately I think um, there is a clear call out for people to be able to have more, well, (laughs) let's do it this way around. The problem with my generation is my generation spent so much time making a living, they never bothered to make a life. And I think that, you know, that is a serious issue that we have to say to ourselves, what, what actually do we want here? No. And, I, and we need to make, I think employers, it's incumbent upon me as an employer to create a space where um, the people that work with us can make better choices. And, it, you know, it's interesting, right? We don't have that many full-time mm. people. A number of people that we have working with us are associates or they're, they work a couple of days, they've got their other practices doing other stuff. Wow, great. Because what it means is when they come to us, yeah. they're fresh, right? They're excited. This is something interesting for them to do. And I, ju- I just feel that's the way of it. The, por- the portfolio worker, I think that's the way of it. It's a brilliant world to be excited about. It'll be interesting to see when larger corporations start to take these aspects on. When we even think about the four-day week, it may sound exciting, but then there's the other aspect of how will they make sure the work doesn't stay the same amount for that four-day week. Well, that's the 180-100 problem, which is basically saying you've got to do 100% of the work and 80% of the time, right? But that, that's that's the problem. But I, I do think that that's something about boundaries as well. Yeah. And I, I think one of the real, if I was talking about one of the probably biggest problems of the, uh, co- the remote piece is, and I think there have been some quite significant issues, but one of the biggest issues I personally am very much alive to is the idea of saying that um, it's all relentless now. So it's just this constant stream. Whereas I think what was interesting when I used to go to the office, um, I would have to get on a tube train somewhere in West London, go into yep. the city, and I'd have that time in this in the space. Now, hope, interestingly, when we were first doing it, you couldn't do anything on a tube. Unfortunately, now. Uh, there's Wi-Fi <laughs> all so over that's it. That's what I'm saying. So there's no escape. So and this is actually, but there's something. If I can say so, I know this is. Well, we can talk about this. But there's something quite dark and sinister about that because the reality was that the technology was made for us. Mm. But what we soon discover is that we've been remade for the technology. And I think we have to be very careful about those boundaries. And so I think what you're seeing is you're seeing this relentless stream. Mm. Um, people talk all the time about being guilty about taking breaks 
uh, and being anxious about not being seen to be working. You just want to say, no, 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 no. Mm-hmm. You've got to stop that. Again, if I go back to when I used to go to work, yeah. you'd have a 15-minute tea break in the morning. You'd have an hour's lunch break. You'd have a 15-minute tea break in the afternoon. Yeah. Nobody does that anymore. No. People work at their desk and they get hernias and, then, and all crazy but then stuff. Now they're working on their trains if they're going into work and the people who work from home are starting at seven or eight like they would do for their normal commute. Completely. So they don't have that full boundary. Suddenly they're overworking without even oh, realizing. Totally. And because of that constant work culture that we've grown into, I think we're now at a space where suddenly we need to utilize some of that energy from COVID to take a moment and pause see if there's anything we can stop, start and continue. Because this is the key moment to be able to stop putting those healthy boundaries in and finding out what you actually need. Yeah, you know, speaking completely. to a coach or a therapist to understand what you as an individual needs to make you feel psychologically safe, to make you feel you are able to do your best work. Because if we're not in that space, we're suddenly in a space where the work is overpowering us and leading our path when it shouldn't be that way because we should be in a space where we're able to say this is me and separately this is what I do. Oh totally it's funny the parallels for me with 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 you know my other world in which I come from are almost irresistible there's a a wonderful um, there's a wonderful statement in the in the New Testament that says essentially uh, (laughs) basically it says this it says let me see if I can understand this, because this religious system had got so out of hand. Somebody uh, comes in the conversation and says, let me see if I understand this. Was the Sabbath made for you, or were you made for the Sabbath? Because it looks like this thing's overtaken you, and it's like that. It's, it's, it's very interesting. One, I should credit one of our clients, actually. I could name check a load of our clients. So but one conversation I had recently with one of our clients at EasyJet, there was a wonderful conversation, and she said something brilliant. She said... As a senior leader, you'll enjoy this, she said, we have made a decision to leave the office noisily. And I thought that was such a <laughs> lovely thing to say. So it was literally, I'm going now. I love you know, and, and, in, and not just I'm leaving, it's I'm leaving to go and collect my children. Yes. I'm leaving because, oh, I need to pop to the shop. So I'm, and it was really interesting because she said what happened was that is that it permissioned other people. Because, right, when the boss is in the office, who's leaving first? Yep. Who's yeah. going to do that, right? You're just going, how many clients do I think of organizations where I can see the kind of young person that's trying to make it out and make do good and all the rest of it is just sitting there thinking, is the boss ever going to leave? It's when the boss is so overwhelmed that suddenly <laughs> everyone right. who's done their, their right. part for the day are sitting there waiting right. until they can until actually they leave. Until they go. We've touched on so many different types of topics today. We've spoken about identity. We've brought in different topics about what we're focusing on and what individuals can focus on, what teams can focus on. I really hope you found something that is specific for yourself in this episode. Paul and I have really enjoyed this topic today. I would encourage you to keep an eye out on our socials for our next topic, and then we'll see you at that episode.